From playing sports as a kid and having a dream to be on TV, Joel Goldberg shares his journey on how he became part of the Kansas City Royals broadcast team. The favorite thing that he said is that he is just living by the golden rule, treating everyone the same way how you would want to be treated. Stay tuned for his incredible story. Welcome to the Power of Investing in People podcast. And today, my guest is the incredibly talented and well-known Joel Goldberg. Welcome to the show, Joe. It's good to be with you, Shay, and thanks for uh, thanks for having me. And very kind of you. Um, and um, yeah, it's good to it's good to be on the podcast. Yeah, and we actually met. Gosh, a year ago, maybe, or was it? I think. More. Was it two? Was it two years ago now? I, it flies by. You're in the same boat as me. I'm yeah. going to say more than one, maybe less than two. <laughs> there you go. I like that. I like that. And then actually just got uh, reintroduced by a mutual friend who's in the Air Force. So such a small, yeah. small world. <laughs> well, and it's a small world in the sense that, you know, the mutual friend is not even, we're in the same city and we were reintroduced <laughs> by someone that's on the West Coast. Right. So I think that's the beauty of the networking world. Yes. And uh, we, we love the people over there at the Llama Lounge podcast. So sure. thank, thank you for that um, connection again. So for those of you who don't know, uh, Joel Goldberg is a native of suburban Philadelphia and Chicago. He has worked as part of the Royals broadcast team for Fox Sports Kansas City since 2008 and serves as a television play-by-play voice for the ECHL Kansas City Mavericks. Joel has spent nearly 25 years in television, developing and maintaining relationships with professional athletes, coaches, and team management. He has become a powerful public speaker and presenter, which I can attest to that. I've seen him speak, talking with groups about networking principles that he's learned from his experiences of interviewing successful icons. Joel drives home a strong message of personal perseverance tailored to each and every audience and focuses on delivery impact for growth. He went from covering Brett Favre and the Packers to Kurt Warner, Marshall Falk, and the Rams after a move to St. Louis. Joel was awarded the 2001 Mid-America Emmy Award for sports reporting. Also, he has traveled to multiple World Series, Super Bowls, and NHL playoffs during the nine years at Fox Affiliate in St. Louis and Fox Sports Midwest, reporting on stars like Mark McGuire and Albert Pujols. Back in 2008, he relocated his family to Kansas City and witnessed the emergence of Air Cosmer, Salvador Perez, and the 2015 World Champion Royals. He became and continues to be an integral part of the Royals broadcast team and the overall Kansas City community. For more information about Joel, you can find more on his website at joelgoldbergmedia.com. Joel, I am just know that you have so many amazing stories that you can tell us. So let's just dive right in with the first question of what does investing in people mean to you? Well, it's everything. And, you know, a lot of times... Shay, people will ask questions about my baseball career or my broadcasting career and who's the coolest, you know, player you get to talk to. Oh my gosh, you get to meet so and so. And and at the simplest level, my response is always they're they're just people. Mm. And I, I mentioned that because that there's that word in investing in people. So 
when you treat them as more than that, it's hard to invest in them or have them invest in you when you're putting them up on a pedestal. They happen to be higher profile. I happen to be higher profile in Kansas City than uh, I would if I go somewhere else because of the exposure I get from baseball. But I'm just a guy doing a job, uh, a job that I happen to love. But everything, the the late owner of the Kansas City Royals and former CEO of Walmart, David Glass, who passed away in January, in his final, I believe his final ever interview, certainly his final television interview with us last September, said that, uh, so it was late September 2019, that that everything you do in life is through people. And this was a mm-hmm. guy that put Walmart to another level. This was a guy that took the Kansas City Royals and brought them a championship. And that goes so deep. It's not just the superstar on the baseball field. It's not just the guy in front of the camera. We have a whole crew behind the scenes that if they didn't show up for work, you would absolutely know, even though you don't know their name, Mm. that something wasn't right. If the superstar is doing his job, it doesn't make a difference if all the supporting cast doesn't do it. So unless you're working for yourself, by yourself, and around no one else on a deserted island, everything involves people. Mm, I I totally agree. I believe that we're all in the people business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 100%. And that's the common bond. Like I tell people all Mm -hmm. the time that, yes, I'm living a dream of being on TV and now getting to talk about it, uh, whether it be on podcasts or in my speaking career. But I, I, look, they pay me to talk about baseball. Life is great. You know, as a sports fan and a guy that never was going to play at a high enough level to do anything with it, I get to talk about it every single night. But in the end, it's it might be more high profile it might be more fun than sitting in a cubicle it might not i don't know but it's still all about people every single time Mm, yeah absolutely absolutely so i'm curious let's take take us back to joel as a child did you play baseball or any other sport i played everything i didn't play anything very well (laughs) uh i i think probably baseball was the first love it also was a sport that I stopped playing at 13. And I, I mean, I played it religiously. You played it in the backyard, played it in the leagues, uh, all that kind of stuff growing up outside of Philadelphia in South Jersey. And then my family, my family moved to Chicago when I was 13, like I think four or five days before eighth grade started. Mm-hmm. And I didn't play that year. We had moved and, you know, just I think probably the, the um being in a totally new community not knowing anybody and um i I i was playing soccer that was my other big sport and then i i had some uh, health issues just nothing serious but just a uh, awkward high school kid that was growing too fast and Mm. knee issues and then knee surgery and so that that pretty much took me out of playing for a year and so you know in in a sport like not that i was ever going to be anything but in a sport like that you, you don't play for a couple of years at that age uh, unless you're really, really good, and I wasn't, you're not coming back. So I played soccer through throughout high school, and then that was it. And and I don't think that I was really ever destined to to play at a higher level of in in anything. Um, played a lot of basketball, pickup type of stuff, and street hockey in the neighborhoods. But I always loved to talk about it. I, I knew from an early age. I, I would think seven, eight, nine years old. I knew that I wanted to be on TV. Mm, interesting. So did that, was that the driving force of where you went to college and, and things like that? Yes and no. It was, it was ultimately my driving force with everything that I did in terms of 
class in terms of like, you know, my motivation for any classes in college was to get, get good enough grades to stay out of trouble, you know, get, get good enough grades so that I wouldn't hear from my parents. Mm -hmm. But my true focus in the classroom, I wasn't a great student, could have been a better student, was probably pretty lazy with that. But my, my focus once I got into those TV specific and media classes was completely different. That's, you know, if I could have gone to college for four years and had every single class I took be TV, radio, writing, I would have done that. It's not really set up that way. But that was certainly when I wanted to have my act together. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, I wasn't a total screw up. I was your typical college kid that liked to go and have fun. And, uh, okay, I'll, let me get to class and make sure that I have enough grades to stay out of trouble. But it was a different focus for television. It was a different focus once I got the TV internships. It was a different focus as I was able to get all that hands on. So it, it interestingly enough, that's not how I picked the school that I went to. Um, had I done that, I probably would have gone to Mizzou because of their journalism program. Mm. But I remember when I was looking at schools, there was no guarantee, you know, entering as a freshman that you would end up in the journalism school. Sure. And so I just ended up saying, I want to go to the school that I love the most. I want to go to the school that I'm most interested in. Uh, that's caught my eye. And that was Wisconsin. And so it, it wasn't the best journalism program out there. It's a good journalism program, but it, I don't think I went to Wisconsin because of the journalism program. I went to Wisconsin because I fell in love with the school and then I went through their journalism school. Gotcha. So growing up part half of your childhood in Chicago, did you become a a Sox or a um, Cubs fan? I I became a Sox fan out of spite. Uh, I mean, it all sounds weird to me now because it's just all business to me now, which Mm. is um, one of the, I wouldn't say sad elements of my job. It's just one of the, sort of pragmatic and realistic parts of the job is it's just, it's business. Uh, You know, of course, being around the Royals every day for the last 12 plus years, that becomes family and and you really want them to do well. The rest is just, it's business. It's not being a fan. But as a kid, now back then, they didn't have all the divisions that we have nowadays. And so way back then, the Phillies, who were my beloved childhood team, anything Philadelphia, which is all worn off on me. I mean, it's, we're talking 35 years ago and, mm-hmm. and having been a professional for 25 years. But, um, but that was my childhood is going to games and watching religiously on TV. Any moment I could watch the Phillies, the Sixers and basketball, the Flyers and hockey, the Eagles and football. And so moving to Chicago and where we, where we lived, which was uh, North of the city up in the suburbs, that was Cubs territory and not right. that it was a hundred percent Cubs, but it was probably 90%. So, you know, you yeah. occasionally you'd have a, a classmate or a friend that was a Sox fan, but it was all Cubs. But because there were fewer divisions back then, the Phillies and the Cubs. And so nowadays the Phillies are in the NL East and the Cubs are in the NL central. There was no central. It was the East and the West. And so the Phillies and the Cubs were in the same division. There's no way in the world that I was going to mm. root for the Cubs, regardless of all these other kids that I was just meeting in school of the Cubs. So out of spite, I became a White Sox fan just just to piss them off. And, and you know, that wasn't quite at the level of the Phillies, but I would say even through college, the Phillies were hands down my team. And then if I had a second team, it was the White Sox in the American League. 
Mm, I love it. And I love how you say that about the, uh, you did it for spite. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I was, I was, a, I was a punk kid. <laughs> you know? So tell us more about that punk kid. What kind of obstacles did you have to overcome? Um, you know, I, I think I, I didn't get in a lot of trouble. Uh, you know, I, let's just say like the trouble that I ever got in was, was just silly stuff, you know, nothing. I, I was never going to, be overly overly difficult i was going to be difficult in the way that a teenage boy is difficult so you know love loved anything sports related good student not great student so i probably fell in like this weird kind of like this weird mix of not really fitting in one group and i don't mean that in like oh you know i didn't have a group or i didn't have friends or anything like that and i know that that can be the case for a lot of people too but it was just sort of like, it's almost like this to this day too. Like I'm just in so many different places. Mm-hmm. So I had the soccer crowd and playing high school soccer. I was a good student, which meant some national honor society or not national honor society. Well, yeah, I think I did that too, but you know, like, uh, um, uh, um, it, you know, AP type of classes or whatever, but I was the worst one in those classes. So it was <laughs> like, I was, I was hanging with the smartest kids, and I was like the least intelligent or at least the least willing to apply myself of those kids. So I was like the, you know, I, I had some smarts, but compared to everybody else, it was very underwhelming. So I, I slid under the radar there. Uh, I was hanging out with the athletes, but I was one of the worst athletes. So I was kind of under the radar there. Um, you know, social kid, never going to win any popularity contest. So I was kind of under the radar there. So um, you know, it's, it's weird because at least in Kansas city, people that know me, but don't know me too, too well, see me as this television figure mm-hmm. and, and then they don't really know who I am or what I am. And, and, and hopefully ultimately once they get to know me, they'd realize he's just, he's just a dude. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't, I never really had in high school, like, you know, the profile I have now is a creation and a byproduct of the success of the Royals and the exposure on TV. I understand it. I don't need it. I embrace it. Uh, I'm comfortable with it. It can be awkward and weird at times, but I, that was never me as a kid. I'm the same person now that I was as a kid, just, you know, wiser and older and all that type of stuff. Um, but I also understand sort of being in the public spotlight. So I think people that knew me in high school or, you know, middle school, junior high, whatever. Um, even sometimes if they come to Kansas city or somebody's visiting and they're, they're at the stadium, they're like, Oh my gosh, people, people know who you are. And I, <laughs> whereas like, I don't think twice about that because that's the life that I've lived for so long. Right. So, you know, like, so I'm the same guy now, I think as I was then, I try to be humble. I try to, uh, especially in a business like I'm in with so much ego, uh, I really try to be authentic. It's not even an effort. Just be yourself. Right. Uh, but it is a weird existence and uh, one that I think in some ways I, I even dreamed about a little bit in high school. Like not, oh my gosh, I want to be famous, but just I want to be that guy on TV. Yeah. And and now I am. And it's just, that's just normal life. Mm. That's a great thing to have, right? You had a dream when you were in high school and now here you are. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, nothing ever plays out the way you 
you dreamt it up and I, but that's not necessarily, I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just like, there's no way to know until you're there. Yeah. Right. Like in some ways it's as big of a deal as I thought it was because people make it out to be a big deal. Right. But to me, it's just everyday life to my Mm -hmm. kids. It's just everyday life. They don't know their father doing anything else. So when, when they have friends or they meet someone new and you know, they Oh my, your dad is, yeah. He just tells bad dad jokes and he's just a dad, you know, (laughs) It's no different than anybody else. And so and I say that all the time. Like we, we work hard. We, you know, have crazy schedules. We do this, we do that. So does everybody else, mm-hmm. you know? And so it just more people see what we're doing, but I will say that, you know, without getting too hokey to, to live your dreams. Amazing. With that said, you can get complacent with that too. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, I've checked this box. I'm good. And it's to me, it's like, what else, you know, what else can we do? with just that. And so that's a great place to be. I mean, it's, it's, um, I, and I try to thank really, I, I, I try to reflect or at least be grateful every single day. It's so easy to take life for granted and, and take what we do for granted. And we have good days, bad days and rough moments and all that type of stuff. Everybody does. But I, I, I try, especially, and that's not happening this year with, with the pandemic, but when I'm walking on the field at Kauffman stadium, I try to always feel the grass underneath my feet. That sounds so cheesy, but first mm. off, you're not going to walk on a better lawn than that. It's like so perfectly manicured. <laughs> right? So when yeah. I finish a post game interview and I'm walking around behind home plate up into the stands and out to my set to do our post game show, I, I'm the only one there. It's like the grounds crews wrapping up the teams have left fans are starting to exit. And I just kind of try some people yelling down, Hey Joel, and might be someone I know, maybe not. And I just try to soak that all in and be like, I'm walking on a major league field. And as a kid, Mm -hmm. what I would not have done to have that one opportunity to walk down there, which seems so impossible. So I do try to just to feel that moment when I can, Mm -hmm. um, because not a lot of people get that opportunity. Mm, So true. And that's what a great grounding technique, which literally. yeah, literally, yes. And I believe it it really keeps you authentic because like I said, I've no I've seen you on stage, I've seen you off stage, I've I've talked to you during Zoom. So I do feel like you're authentic on camera, off camera. So thank you for for staying to that. Well, it, I mean it's who I am and I to me it seems to me it seems pretty easy just to be yourself, but it I think maybe for others it's easier. And and I think, I think some people just try to, they put too much pressure on themselves to be something that they don't need to be. And, and I get it. We box a lot of people in and and we have expectations for them, but I think so much of that is self-inflicted and, you know, I have doubts and self-doubt and all that type of stuff like everybody else. But I think that you need to be yourself. I think the ultimate compliment for me personally, but I think for anyone that you can get is while you, you seem like the same guy on camera as off camera yeah. or you seem like the same person on stage as off stage, or you can fill in the blank mm-hmm. for whatever you do. Hey, just chatting or going to coffee. You seem like a normal person. Like I expected you. So, you know, we build up these expectations. The flip side of that is I, I think that there's just this thought that someone that's on TV or rev- rubbing elbows with, you know, baseball superstars and traveling on charter planes and living that life must somehow be something else. Mm. And so to me, it's like, there's this bar that is set so low 
that if you could just be authentic, you're going to jump over it without even trying. Yeah. And so I think there's a lesson there, like just be yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I think that's true in anything. I, I remember back in 2013, George Brett was the interim hitting coach for the Kansas city Royals and, you know, legendary hall of fame baseball player. And uh, as the story goes, he walked into the batting cage one day with their star third baseman, Mike Moustakis, who we've been working with from before he was the hitting coach and, you know, put out his hand and said, hi, I'm George Brett. Who are you? And and Mike Moustakis said something like, uh, Mike Moustakis, like I'm sure thinking um, we've met and worked a million times. What's wrong with you? And to which George Brett said, good, then stop trying to be somebody else and just go be Mike Moustakis, be yourself. Mm. And I, I think he was probably talking about hitting style uh, and technique, but I think the message is still there no matter what you yeah. do. You got, you got to be yourself. And you know, if, if if being yourself isn't good enough, that's a whole different discussion of of maybe checking yourself in the mirror. Oh, so true. And I, for me, so I'm not on TV at all yet anyway, but I have. You are right now. I am right now. Right. I have, uh, yeah, I have my, my podcast and Facebook live show and on speaking and all the things that I I've done. And, and I'm always surprised when I get off stage or something and somebody comes up to me and they're like, you're so nice. And I'm like, why wouldn't I be? (laughs) This is who I I am all the time. (laughs) So, yeah, I I, I love that you say that. Yeah. I guess you don't have to be nice. I I, I mean, my my feeling in general in life is that if you're not going to be nice or you're going to have these serious flaws, you better have enough else in the tank to make up for it. I mean, it's not really the recommended route, but I suppose if you're the best at what you do and you're the, you know, you're the best coach or you're the best you know, athlete, or you're the best CEO, or you're the best salesperson, or you're the best, whatever, chiropractor or speaker, then you could probably get away with it because you're so good. They'll continue to bring you back. But boy, isn't it so much easier when you're just a nice person? Exactly. I totally agree. And, and I, like I said, I've seen you speak at events on company culture and leadership. So what else you talked about? What else? So what else is there for Joel Goldberg? I really don't need more on my plate today, okay? <laughs> Wait, what? We're not going to keep piling it on? <laughs> well, you know, that's that's life, so it, it will keep piling on. And that's, that's what comes with growth, I know. But, you know, the speaking thing came accidentally. If the television career was completely strategic, completely by design, took a lot of luck along the way. I mean, I always like to say, and these numbers aren't accurate, that let's just say there are a hundred thousand kids coming out of school or whatever. Let's say there's 10,000 kids that want to come, that come out of college that want to be a broadcaster in a given year. It's more than that. Mm-hmm. And of those 10,000 kids there, there might be, you know, 50 on air jobs around the country available at that moment, you know, entry level. I was one of them and I was not better than anybody else. I outworked everybody and, and, and I did it by making connections and networking. So I understood the value of that early on, even though I didn't fully understand that it. it was, it was instinctual, but, but there was a design, a strategy and a goal to be on TV at all costs uh, and build that career. The speaking thing happened accidentally about four years ago. And I'd spoken to a couple of groups and I, of course had spoken to rotary clubs and church groups and, you know, all the community outreach freebie type of stuff. And, and, and I'd spoken and, and was paid by a couple of groups and I had a, close friends say, you know, you could build a business out of that. And and I didn't know that I had no clue. And, and so 
I gave it a try. I, you know, as as a guy that works six months a year and is off six months a year during non-pandemic times, right. I had this free time to invest in whatever I wanted. And so I started the business out and it's been a life changer. So, mm. you know, when you talk about what else, um, I, I think it's just part of this journey. So I've come to learn that all these experiences in television that I really say are, are designed to entertain people and take them away from whatever is troubling them or whatever is on their mind. Uh, just as, as is the case with arts and theater and music and, uh, you know, sports for most of us is it's entertainment. It's a diversion. It's a break. And so I, I get the privilege of being a part of that and, and bringing people to places on a nightly basis for you know two and a half, three and a half hours at a time. So then you move on to your next day. But the speaking thing, what ended up happening is that is a chance for me to take all those lessons learned and make people's lives better long-term, not just in the moment. Mm-hmm. And, and leveraging the access and the connections that I've had uh, all, all that stuff of, oh my gosh, you get to meet him, but but digging deeper and saying, here's what I took from him mm-hmm. and here's how it can help you. And so I, I think that the beauty of that and being really comfortable with where I'm at in television and not looking to leave and, and being really happy with where I'm at is that I have this other thing now that I could take with no ceiling to it. So in terms of what's next, you know, working on a book and um, continuing to build out with the podcasts and try to grow the speaking. And I mean, it's just that it's never ending. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and who knows, we'll see where it goes, but it's, it's a, it's a fun place to be. Well, I love watching you grow and watch your podcast grow and your speaking. And I'm so excited that you're coming out with a book and um, maybe we'll have you back on with, or we'll have maybe a, a book signing party for all the authors in the area and, and uh, yeah, we'll have some some sort of event or something like that. So uh, as a, I'll, I'll just put it this way, as a legend in the Kansas City area, no. <laughs> okay, as people think of you as a legend in the Kansas City area, what would, do you want to be your legacy? It's a great question. And, and I always, I, I'll, I'll push back on the legend thing. And, and what I like to say is when people say local celebrity, I just always make sure we put up air quotes. Cause that's, you know, I would say, you know what you are, you, you are what your kids think you are, you know, mm-hmm. you are what your family and your closest people think you are. And they, they just, you know, think I'm, you know, like anybody, like any other dad, I think so. Uh, which you are, which I will I say, yeah. yes, you yeah. are. I would just live this weird existence. That's all a weird existence based on what would be considered a normal everyday job. Right. But I think, you know, I, I just. I think I just want to have this legacy of having helped people and having made an impact on people's lives. I don't know what that looks like on the, you know, on the biggest of levels, the highest of levels, but, you know, I'll I'll get just in the short term here, I'll get messages from people after a speech, something like, Hey, I took, you know, all these points that you made, and they're they're plastered on my computer on sticky notes, mm. and it's like because I've done that when I hear mm. from people. A lot of us have, so it's like 
okay, not only did those words resonate with them, but they want those words to be present in their everyday life. Right. And so I think that's it. Like I, I just, and then the other side is, you know, the more exposure you get, the more, um, the more you're in front of people, which is what of course I do and have done every day for years on television, the more it opens up other doors. And so now suddenly if you're involved in, you know, in a cause, uh, or, or helping something on a bigger level, you know, I, I've, I've spoken so much in the last couple of months about racial injustice. And uh, that's not a topic that I ever spoke about before the George Floyd murder. And it's something that through my podcast, I became more knowledgeable and more comfortable speaking about a topic that I think was awkward um, or off limits, not safe to so many of us. And so what I've come to realize is that because of, you know, my name in the community and the exposure on TV, and if people happen to be bringing me into their living room, that I have a voice that people might listen to. And so that's one of the legacies or, or um, developments I see going forward is that the more this business grows, the more that I'm seen as just a baseball guy, the more that I can get in front of audiences, the more that I have a chance to one, make people's lives better and two, maybe help some causes and have a voice that, um, you know, an everyday guy like me wouldn't have otherwise. Mm, beautiful. And I had a, uh, a speaking coach one time tell me that the only reason to become a speaker is to make a, the world a better place. And yeah. you do that. So thank you so much for what you do. Well, I, I appreciate that. And we all do, you know, I mean, and I think like, you know, you always hear that line in whatever walk of life. Like, I just want to, I just want to be better today, or I just want to do something to win the day. And so mm -hmm. I think that every one of us have that opportunity in some form or another. And quite frankly, in this day and age of so much being politicized and nastiness, it's like, you know, can we hit the pause button ever and just say, you know what, I, I think I could do some good today. And I, I think we all, we don't have to be on TV. We don't have to have a higher profile. We all have that ability. We really do. Mm, beautifully said. So how can people connect with you? I talked about the website. Uh, are you on social media at all? Yeah, probably too much. So, but, <laughs> um, but you know, that, that's all, that that's all, I think by design too. And a lot of it is organic, but you know, I like to be out there. So, that um there are a lot of ways to find me I, i'm on i'm very active on twitter uh, i try to keep that first and foremost to baseball uh, so that's goldberg casey i'm on instagram joel goldberg casey that's where i beg for followers actually because i feel like that that one's been harder to build than, than all the rest of them you know twitter is like i'm gonna sound like you, you know the the egomaniac that's dropping how many followers he has, but it's like something like 86, 87,000 followers. I have 100% um, certainty that that's because of an amazing Royals fan base. And, mm -hmm. you know, having been a part of two uh, pennants in a world championship in 2014 and 15, where people were thirsting for that knowledge. And then, um, so, you know, that's that side, Instagram, Joel Goldberg, KC, uh, building that from a business standpoint, LinkedIn is kind of my, my go-to. And I, I think that's probably the safest place to just do business. I am, I'm getting off on a tangent here. I'm, I'm constantly amazed that people want to sell to you without even knowing you on there. Yes. And I'm, I'm <laughs> learning how to just be like, Nope, sorry, you're out. Yeah. 
and and I'm not a I'm not a guy that does know well. I'm trying to get better at it. I think it's important, but I'm constantly amazed at clicking yes and connecting with someone suddenly gives them the invitation to immediately ask for business or coffee or whatever without even asking if that's even something I would be interested in. Right. And so I try to go about it that way there. Um, and then I've got a YouTube channel and um, Facebook, of course, and all that stuff. So yeah, I'm all over the place. And what's your, the name of your podcast? So I have two of them. And although they're essentially the same thing, um, Rounding the Bases is the name of my podcast. That comes out weekly, has for, I think, a few years now, uh, since the late 2017. That's on you know iTunes, Spotify, wherever you find your podcasts. And then I started in late March an offshoot of that called Rounding the Bases Live, which I'll need to have you on with me at some point. Yeah. And that is a live video stream Monday through Friday. Uh, at the time, it just seemed like with everybody coming home, I was going to be out of work as a baseball announcer. It seemed like a way to advance some discussions and have some discussions live in the moment. And... You know, even as you and I are recording this now, I've already done over a hundred episodes. That's not mm. anything I ever expected. Wow. Um, but you know what? As long as there are stories to tell, and I think there always will be, then that's been a really, really cool way to connect with people. And that mm. one streams on, you know, Facebook and YouTube. And so I've got a YouTube channel, Joel Goldberg Media. And um, and I think you mentioned the website before, joelgoldbergmedia.com. So between those podcasts and then all the speaking stuff and, and oh, by the way, baseball, it's, <laughs> um, it's a lot. Yeah. And it's so, again, it's so funny what a small community it is when you connect with like-minded people. And you've had so mm -hmm. many of the same people that yeah. not only have been on my show, but also are friends of mine. So it's just great to, again, to be connected with you and to you. So, Joel, I always like to leave with this question. What phrase, scripture, or mantra are you living by right now? Oh, I, you know what? There, there's so many, but I, I think that um, to me, and I'm not, I'm not an extremely religious guy, um, so I, I'm, I'm not someone that can sit there and recite scripture or Bible verses. But I, I just think the golden rule. I mean, I, I, I'm always flattered and humbled when people say to me, but you're, you know, he's a nice guy. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that takes a lot of effort. Right. And so I just more than ever in this day and age, like, why don't we just treat everyone better? So to me, you know, I just, I just try to treat people the way I want to be treated. And maybe that's a little bit naive on my part. I don't know. Um, but I, I think that we all could live by that one. So, um, you know, just living by the golden rule of, of treating others as you want to be treated is, is an important one. Um, and, and another quote that a quote, but just something I think about a lot is just, um, there was a quote about like something like chances favored the prepared man. I mean, it, I, and of course that would be man or woman nowadays. And I've, I've heard that that quote came from multiple people, so I can't even track down who it was. But I just think that that when we're prepared, you know, this is a speaker too. Like that doesn't mean memorizing; it just means knowing knowing your lane or knowing your stuff. Mm -hmm. And when you put in that work, it's true of networking. It's true of people. It's true. I mean, your first your first question was about people. 
uh, when you put in the work and the time and you do so in an authentic way, it pays off. It just does, yeah. you know, and, and helping other people. So, so I want to yeah. treat people right. And, and I want to just, just make those little inroads every day. Mm. And you do that and it shows. So thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. And thank you so much for being here. It's been, it's been an honor, a pleasure, and always a joy when we get to talk. <laughs> I, I loved it. Thanks for having me on. And don't go telling people that you're hanging out with a legend because once they figure <laughs> out who it is, they're going to be like, wait a minute. We thought it was somebody important. <laughs> uh, Joel, you're so funny. Um, and, and stay tuned for your book that's coming out. And I'm sure they'll be able to find that on your website. In It'll the, be there. It'll be there. All right. Well, thank you. Thanks, Shay. Hey, don't turn this off just yet. Does the thought of collaborating and connecting with a diverse group of creative thought leaders appeal to you? Do you have a compelling story and don't know where to start? Have you ever thought about writing a book and thought about writing the whole book is overwhelming? Well, we are looking for you. We want to connect and collaborate with other podcasters, coaches, and entrepreneurs who want to gain exposure. We are looking for other people who want to co-author a book with us. You can find out more details at firestartersbookproject.com.